Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. I am your host, John Marchalero, and this week my guest is Mike Laux. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Nice to, nice to talk to you. For the listeners, Mike Laux is the CEO of Space Exploration Engineering, which he co-founded in 1995. He received his bachelor's in physics and astronomy from Whitman College in Washington, and his master's in aerospace engineering science from the University of Colorado. Yay! He co-founded Space Exploration Engineering, I'll get that right, in 1995, after working as an operations and trajectory planning expert for Orbital Sciences Corporation. Very similar career to mine. Started off in astronomy, went into aerospace. Very cool. What got you started? You were in Colorado, too, at the same time, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was, see, what was I doing in 91? I was uh, just moved to Tennessee to work for the Oak Ridge National Lab, but I came back afterwards. So there you go. My, most, most of my life now in Colorado. It's been great. What got you interested in space and astronomy? Oh, well, uh, gosh, lots of things. I mean, I think, um, you know, my older brother, for one, and the Apollo program was one, of course. The, the, you know, when I was six years old, they, uh, they landed, uh, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. And I remember my brother, my older brother, Alan, you know, really being into that. I, I wasn't quite old enough to have, you know, those kind of interests yet, but I saw my older brother being into it and watched those things with him. And and then, of course, you know, science fiction, um, the Star Trek, you know, Gene Roddenberry and, and those kinds of things, uh, uh, Robert Heinlein, you know, some of his books. As I started to get to read, you know, I read those kinds of things. I was interested in them and, the, you know, the TV shows uh, at the time, the science fiction shows that were on that, uh, you know, just you know, that get you interested in those things. But NASA was busy, you know, and, and doing lots of things with the Apollo program and and um, and certain things about that that, you know, Sparked my interest. Uh, I remember Apollo Soyuz for some reason because that was a, a mission that flew when I was really starting to get cognizant about what was going on in space. And um, a couple of comets that that came in the in the 70s, Kohotek, uh, which which there was a big to, to do about Kohotek. And then you know where I grew up in Seattle, we couldn't see it, and and it wasn't as bright as predicted and all that. And so that one kind of ended up being a, a bummer for us. But then a couple years later, and I think it was 75, Comet West came. And um, and I saw that one, and it was bright enough that I could see it from Seattle in the morning, when you know from where our house was and stuff, and just little events like that. The Viking program, of course, was a big one for me. That you know, and uh, all all kinds of little things that come along the way that that spark your interest. My my mom was really into you know having us be uh, knowledgeable about these things, and she used to we got National Geographic, and she'd put up the moon posters and maps and those things on the walls in the house and get us looking at those things. And I have that map, you know. That my, the same one my mom put up. I have that in my office now, remembering that. But um, you know, just little things like that. Uh, people along the way that encourage you to do things and the science fiction things you read. And um, were your parents well, very technical? They weren't. Uh, my dad. My dad and my mom is still alive. My my dad was an attorney his whole life um, and still practices actually. And but you know, certainly encouraged me um, to do the things that I wanted to do. One of the great things that he did for me in, in 1979, there was a solar eclipse that was visible um, down on the Columbia River um, in between Oregon and Washington. And uh, he took me down there, and um, and we went and saw that. And that was a spectacular thing. That uh, you know, an eclipse really, a solar eclipse, a total eclipse like that is an amazing sight. And I saw the other one in 2017 here same kind of thing just a you know almost religious experience really just a 
it's really an amazing thing and and um and so you know i knew about it i got involved with an astronomy group that was going on a trip down there my dad took me down there and we ended up on a in a really small town called wishram washington right on the columbia river gorge and what a place to watch an eclipse from i mean we saw we saw the shadow of the eclipse coming up the columbia river gorge at us you know all the normal effects that you'd oh, see cool. in the and all that stuff and we were on farmland watching it and uh, you just couldn't have planned it that way it was a totally accident where we ended up and, and how we ended up there and the weather that we got everything was kind of centered around Goldendale was kind of the place where everybody was focusing then and we were you know 10 miles south of that wherever we were and we ended up having you know perfect view of it and uh, you know, just you know little things like that that I mean not little at the time but those things all you know kind of uh, you know uh, conspire together to, to keep you interested and and the TV shows that you watch and you know then Star Wars and those kind of things start coming out all kinds of things that keep you interested really funny thing when I you know back when Kohotek came about I, my parents got me a telescope for Christmas and I was trying to see it and that and I remember um, you know starting to figure out what different stars were and what their names were and that and I uh, I one night I was looking at stars and I recognized that the star Arcturus was there and I knew what star it was and I couldn't see it and I was perplexed by this so I, I wrote a letter to uh, Polymore Observatory didn't have any idea who was down there but just to the observatory I had the address from somewhere and some some astronomer there wrote me back and explained the whole thing to me why I couldn't see the star and cloud layers and this kind of thing spectacular thing for that guy to do and uh, you know that really inspired me and then a couple of years later when um, when the uh, Viking probe landed um, I uh, I sent that same guy a letter and said hey you know who can I write to about Viking and he forwarded that to whoever it was at JPL and they sent me a whole press pack all the pictures and stuff that they had from the landing and you know just neat things wow. like that, that people do that that make a huge impression on your life that you know that they I wish I had that letter still so I could find out who that guy was oh, I, mean, I have a letter I was excited about the 3D chess set in Star Trek that, that oh sure Spock played of so course. I wrote a letter to Lincoln Enterprises in California and I asked him how I could buy a 3D chess set. And I got a signed letter from Gene Roddenberry. It's still in Nice. Oh, that's see, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, the, it was amazing. The, uh, the, uh, the other thing that, you know, we lived um, with my parents, you know, in Seattle, we lived on a street where there was a library. And, uh, and so when I started to read and that, and I could just walk to the library, it was right down the block. And uh, I went into the science fiction section there one time looking for books, and I found Starman Jones by Heinlein. And I read that book, and I probably read it a hundred times because I could check it out and read it and take it back and get it again. And, uh, and in the book, um, you know, the, 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 the kid, uh, the, you know, the, head guy and the lead guy in the book becomes an astrogator and and flies a spaceship and uh and and so and that's what i do so i that's what i do now and it's it's a cool thing and i use the word you know astrogator and actually the software that i use and this is not my doing at all the, the software that i'm an expert on happens to be called astrogator and so I'm that's ask you about that in the second half yeah, of the show. yeah, yeah you bet cool. so lot, lots of fun things like that 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 you know that make an impact in your life from your you know my family and people that i run into and and different you know folks when i was in high school and college and all that that had and, you know and then when i went to college of course I, I i didn't know exactly what i wanted to do in space and so i i knew that i was trying to get into caltech but i didn't quite have the grades for that but but whitman had a uh, a program there the three two engineering program 
program where you could go three years at Whitman and then go two years at Caltech and get degrees from both places. Now, I ultimately didn't do that, but that's what I went down there to do. And, and I ended up staying there and getting my, my, my degree, my bachelor's in astronomy with a great uh, professor, Catherine Brocker, who's a brilliant inspiration to me down there. And, and, um, and, and just the one-on-one attention you get at a small school like that. To have your the connection prof- to Palomar and you're interested in astronomy, did you think sure. about becoming a professional astronomer at that time? I mean, I did think about those things, and I think as I got further along in my schooling, I, I just decided that that you know that wasn't what I wanted to do. And I certainly love that stuff and respect it. And I I heard the guest that you had, uh, Emily Levesque, uh, I think a Levesque. few weeks ago. Levesque, I think that's her name. Yeah, and I I, I followed her and other folks from the University of Washington and other people like that. Or you know, I certainly love that stuff and really appreciate what those folks do. Um, and and through some of the work I've I've been involved with lately, we've had. Uh, an opportunity to interact with some of the folks from the University of Washington, and it's been a great pleasure for me to kind of get back to my roots and see those folks, what they're doing, and kind of become aware of uh, how great they are and, and the neat stuff that astronomers do. And I have Emily's book now that I need to read, but uh, me too. yeah, but I, I I've heard her on a couple of places now, and I heard her on your show, and uh, what a great storyteller she is. And so sure. it's uh, yeah, so I, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to read her book, and 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 I've heard her interviewed a couple of times, and. Appreciate that kind of stuff, but I so I, I I really you know I have my own telescope and I have a ooh, you know, ooh, had, what kind do you have? Tell me, is it okay? Well, so now I built I built my own uh, eight inch reflector back when I was in high school, and I still have that, and I I, I don't use it as much because it's kind of beat up and that, but I I have a, a Celestron uh, CPC eight hundred um, that I bought several years ago, and that's a nice scope. I like that. It's um, is that an eight inch Nitcaster green? It is. Yep. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I have that, and that's a fun one. That it's it's about uh, as big as I can pick up and move around by myself. I mean, I, I, you know, it, it's you know, I can do it, but if I had to, if I got to be very mobile, you know, I, I need two of us, and 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 so to, to to move the other ones around. But that one's good enough, and I've I've used that for lots of fun stuff, and and uh, I get a, I get a kick out of that. I'm not in an area of the world. I live up in the San Juan Islands, north of Seattle, and you know our weather here sometimes makes it a little bit harder to see things, but. Uh, but that's a mobile enough telescope I can stick it in my, any of the cars that I have and give it, get it around. So I, I don't do that as much as I'd like, but it's a, it is a fun thing for me. And, and certainly astronomy and the, and the different things that uh, are researched in, in space it shows up in my career and other places in the spacecraft and things that we fly. We're always involved with astronomers and other, you know, instrument folks that, uh, you know, that, that, that build the instruments for the spacecraft that we fly, and that's always a kick to interact with those people and and uh, and, and 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 explore my passion in, in, in that way rather than uh, you know being a, a research scientist. So, what brought you to Colorado for your master's in aerospace? Oh boy, um, you know a random set of things. Really, I uh, I I was I when I got out of Whitman, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I knew I wanted to be involved in spacecraft and space flight in some fashion. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, I got uh, I got accepted to a program down at the Florida Institute of Technology in Florida, and I went down there, and um, I was down there for a quarter. And um, it was a neat school and interesting place down by, you know, near near the space center down there. But I figured out they didn't really have what I wanted to do there. And so I, I decided that I was going to go do, you know, I, I was going to switch schools and go somewhere else. And uh, I was flying back and this was, you know, it must have been 86. I was on a plane with a gal that was in that same program, but she was from Vancouver and we were flying back for Christmas. And I was sitting next to her trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And, and she said, well, I've heard there's a good program at Colorado. <laughs> and, and that, you know, those words right there were 
enough to make me look at Colorado when I was looking at other places too. And so I applied to a couple of places for grad school, uh, University of Texas in Austin and uh, Utah State University and, and University of Colorado. And um, something about, I'd been to Colorado a couple of times, really liked the area and the weather down there was similar to what I had been at, you know, at, at Whitman and at Eastern Washington. And I thought, oh, okay, I like that climate. Humidity wasn't a thing that, you know, hot and humid at the same time wasn't something I liked very much. I found out when I was so I thought, well, I, I like, you know, I'd been to Colorado and thought, okay, I like that. You know, I like Eastern Washington. Okay. And I, Seattle was okay too, but, um, but I thought, okay, well, I can, I can do Colorado and I know I can live there. So, um, so I went down there and, um, and I just kind of, you know, uh, they accepted me. And so I, I got in there in the, in the winter quarter of, uh, of, uh, 1988. And, um, and when I got, after I got in there, I started meeting people in that and, and got into different programs there and started running into the people that really affected my life and got me into the, you know, into what I'm in now. But, um, worked at, for a while in the laboratory for atmospheric and space physics down there LASP and um on uh, doing data analysis on a program called uh, SME was solar mesosphere explorer and I'm going to forget exactly when SME launched it was before I got there it was you know when I got there in 88 it was at sort of the end of the mission but I mean the spacecraft was still flying I think for a year or so after I was there but I worked with one of the scientists there that was you know doing data analysis on the from the instruments on board the spacecraft and it was looking at ozone hole and atmospheric science kind of stuff at the earth um and that was really interesting but uh yeah so i mean i got to colorado and and then kind of my you know figured out as i was there i mean i didn't go to that program knowing what i wanted to do i i got there and through a series of you know unplanned meetings of different people connected up with a gentleman named chauncey uphoff um, and uh, and Chauncey's responsible for all this, and he is a dear friend of mine. Uh, uh, died back in 2004, but um, really was my mentor, and and I met him during a series of lectures when I was at in, in the graduate school there. And he was an ex JPL guy that worked at Ball Aerospace in Boulder at the time, and just he got me going. He, he got me interested in orbital mechanics and, and trajectory design and all the stuff just because of the stories he told and the things that he had done and, um, and his way of thinking and just his attitude about stuff. And, uh, and so he's the, you know, he's the key, the key element there for me to get, get me into the, you know, in the, into the work that I do now was my meeting with him and the lectures that he gave and, and, uh, kind of the, you know, the mentorship that I got from him and then the friendship that I got from him. He was a great friend and, and a good man. So was that the gateway into, uh, Orbital Sciences Corporation after you graduated. Well, no, you know that that's a different path. You know, when, when I was in grad, when I when I figured out from Chauncey, you know, working with him, kind of what I wanted to do. Um, I had I did do an internship at Ball. Um, I believe that was in '89, and then I did another internship the next year at McDonnell Douglas out in Huntington Beach. And um, and I was trying to get my PhD. I got my master's there, and I was but I was trying to find a PhD topic, and and I was having a hard time. And that's part partly my own fault, and partly you know politics inside the program at the time with who my advisor was. Uh, my advisor was a good friend, great man, uh, Dr. George Morgenthaler, who had a long history at Lockheed Martin or at Martin Marietta, I guess, while he was there and had been you know, responsible for different programs there. And he'd become a kind of retired from Lock, from Martin and, and become a professor there at the university. I started working with George and, and uh, trying to figure out what we wanted to do. And then he got involved in politics and that, and his students kind of were affected by it. So it was hard for us 
to find our get our PhD topics squared away. We kind of had, you know, George would give us topics that he liked, and then there'd be another committee in the department that kind of wanted something else. And and so uh, as I was futzing around with that, trying to figure out what my PhD topic was going to be, um, one of my good friends, who basically also was a um, was a uh, student of George, um, had taken a job at Orbital Sciences Corporation, and Orbital had a, a small office in Boulder of about 40 people at the time, and uh, and they were flying small spacecraft and doing things. And they had like the precursor to the Orbcom constellation was being designed and built there, amongst other spacecraft and things that they did. And so I got a, uh, a part-time job working with them while I was trying to figure out my PhD and my funding got messed up and that kind of thing. And so that um, that really kind of led me off to where I am now because the uh, the that office as I worked there, um, you know, we got and this was started stretching into the future now because I was at I think I started working there in '92 or '93. And then we got a couple years into that, and it was like 95, right, early 95. And, and the corporate offices back east decided they were going to close down the Boulder office. And, um, and at that point, we were in the middle of a program called Sea Star or Orview 2, which was a, a Orbital's you know, first real NASA mission. And I was doing the trajectory design and stuff for that. And we were right in the middle of it when they laid us off. And so um, we got into a situation where they laid us off, but we knew they really needed us. So my partner, Brent Ellickson, and I uh, formed a company, Space Exploration Engineering. to Let's contract talk about that, that in part two. Okay, we can do that. Yeah. Anyway, that we, so that's how we got, you know, that's kind of how I got to Orbital. I got to Orbital and they closed the office down and we went, you know, from there we went to the company. Oh, do it. Well, we have to bring the first segment to a close. Uh, sure. In the second segment, I want to talk about your current work. But first, we have to take a short commercial break, focus on chatting with Mike Locks, astrogator and CEO of SEE. We'll be back in 60 seconds. Stay with us. Today, our sponsor is Linode. Linode helps you design, develop, and deploy in the cloud. You can build dedicated CPU, distributed applications, hosted services, websites, and CI, CD environments. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Linode is focused on simplicity, service, and value. Built using the most up-to-date hardware and a next-generation network backbone, Linode allows users to comply with in-country data protection requirements while taking advantage of all of Linode's technology and tools. The goal is to maximize the benefit you receive from your cloud by making it cost-effective to deploy robust compute, storage, and networking services that meet your ever-changing performance needs. Featured are a native SSD storage, a 40-gigabit network, and industry-leading processors. Pick from any of 10 worldwide data centers. And pay for only what you use with hourly billing across all plans and add-on services. 24 by 7 live customer support is always just a phone call away. You'll be able to deploy, maintain your infrastructure simply and cost-effectively. Plus, Linode's tools make it easy to provision, secure, monitor, and back up your cloud. To learn more, visit linode.com slash BGM. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com forward slash BGM. All new customers receive a $20 credit. Thanks, Linode, for being our sponsor. We're back. I'm chatting with CEO of Space Exploration Engineering, Mike Lauks. So tell me about the early days of SEE, your early struggles to form the company, and your first big win. 
Yeah, so really what happened, um, you know, my, my partner Brent and I were working on a, a, the Orview 2 program. We were in the middle of that, and, and Orview 2 was a spacecraft that was um, an ocean uh, color monitoring spacecraft, which was going to uh, basically you know, follow plankton and those kind of things in the ocean. Uh, Orbital Sciences was building it. They were behind schedule on it, and, uh, and, and the spacecraft was to be launched on a Pegasus rocket, which is an air-launched vehicle that drops off of a, um, I think it was still a B-52 at the time. Uh, I don't remember. They switched over to the L-1011 at some point, and I don't remember if we if we were before or after that switch. I'd have to go back and look. But anyway, there was an air launch vehicle. Um, it put us up into an orbit that was about you know 300 kilometers, and then we had to rise up to a circular orbit, or roughly circular at 700 kilometers, to be in sun synchron a sun synchronous orbit. Um, and so our our job, Brent and I, was to figure out the set of 30-something maneuvers that we had to do because we had small engines to get us up there and then lock us into the orbit we needed to be in, which was a particular thing. And so we were in the middle of that, um, and Orbital kind of restructured things. They had just bought out uh, Fairchild Aerospace out in Maryland, which is kind of an old-school aerospace company. Um, we were kind of a, you know, we, we were basically, the Boulder office was a new company that had been acquired, a small company that had been acquired by Orbital several years before that, and it was Boulder. And we we were, you know, in shorts and T-shirts and running at lunch and that kind of thing. And the other folks in Fairchild were kind of old school suit and tie guys. And so they didn't, uh, there was a kind of a culture clash there. And they didn't like having a remote office. So they decided to shut down the Boulder office. And uh, when they did that, we were offered temporary positions in Dulles, which I didn't see any reason to take. And so, <laughs> so I mean, and, and, and there wasn't, you know, and they weren't offering me a full-time job. They were just offering me a temporary position. So Brent and I said, well, let's just, you know, offer them a contract. We know that Orbital contracts with consultants all the time. So we'll just form a company and we'll, we'll offer them a contract. And then we didn't know how much money to ask. So we didn't ask for enough, but you know, you learn that stuff as you go along later and we fix that. But at the time, one of the things we did know is that, hey, they had just closed down this office. They really didn't plan to close it down. They're going to have a whole bunch of equipment and stuff they have to do something with, and they're going to end up sticking it in a, in a you know truck and shoving it back east and putting it in a warehouse. So we just said, hey, why don't you give us a bunch of stuff? So in the contract that we sent to them, we just added a page at the end and said, oh, by the way, why don't you give us these computers and these desks and these filing cabinets and, this, and these phones and just ask for a laundry list of stuff that we knew we were going to need to be in business. And they just said, yeah, sure, and signed it. And um, and that that was, you know, a, a, an interesting epiphany for me that I think has served me well beyond that is that there's a real power to just asking people for stuff. You know, a lot of times, you know, you, you're afraid that you don't know what you can get. If you, and if you ask the question, you know, you might hear no, but you already had that answer before. You so that's, ask. If you don't ask, yeah, you exactly. don't get an answer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If they say no, well, you're just in the same boat. But if, but if they don't say no, you're somewhere else. And so we just asked. And, um, and that and that worked out well for us. So we were basically instant business. They gave us enough of a contract that we could live off of that. We started doing other stuff and uh, got some contracts with Ball Aerospace and, and that kind of thing. And then as things moved along, um, we got involved with a company called Analytical Graphics Incorporated out of Philadelphia, that uh, or the Philadelphia area, I should say, that makes a, a a software tool called the Satellite Toolkit, or now they call it Systems Toolkit, which was a trajectory design and 3D, you know, visualization product uh, that ran on PCs and that. And this was, I remember right when we got involved with them, and I want to say 98 99-ish, um, you know, a lot of what they did, uh, there's what, which made their software unusual, was that they had a 3D graphics, you know, uh, models of, their, of the trajectories and those kind of things. And it was right when, 
you know, commercial grade 3D graphics cards started to become available, accelerated graphics cards. And so that was perfect timing for me, obviously, you know, uh, because of the gaming industry and that had, had forced that capability into the PC world. Um, that now because of that, I could use that, those tools for trajectory design as well. So it was really interesting that, that that came along when it did. Because, you know, a couple of years before, if I'd wanted that capability, it would have been several thousand dollars for a graphics card. But right when we started, the graphics cards had dropped down into the two and three hundred dollar range and so we could buy them and um and so as the we started, visualization of the orbit a key to designing oh, the trajectory oh it's huge it's huge you know I, I talked earlier about my my mentor chauncey epoff one of the things that chauncey and and folks of his uh generation were, had to do and which made them so brilliant is they could visualize the trajectories in their head and these are you know the earth orbiting things are one thing but when we're talking about libration point trajectories or low thrust or other things that that are you know three body trajectories as you transfer between the earth and the moon chauncey could visualize that stuff in his head and and he could describe it to me and he could draw it down a little bit but i always was you know kind of behind him because I couldn't see the stuff and he could see it. Well, once the software now the software let me cheat. So now I had the ability to do that. So I could draw a trajectory and I could, you know, what I like to call visually debug the trajectory. If something weird happened, I could just see that it was something weird. And so it was just so much quicker than, you know, in the past guys that, you know, like Chauncey and Bob Farquhar and and, uh, and Dave Dunham and folks like that, that are these great trajectory designers, they could see this stuff in their head and they could plot out things on, on you know, paper and that. I could just look at it and, you know, I could see it on a screen. And then once you've seen it on the screen, now I can visualize it in my head because I've seen it. But um, that ability is huge. And it's a lot of what we do. You know, a lot of times people will say, oh, you're doing this trajectory work. You know, <clears throat> you must be a great mathematician or something like that. And that's just really not true. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I, I have the ability to recognize patterns like, you know, lots of people with human brains do. And that is you see a pattern, you've seen it before, you recognize and go, oh, I remember I saw something that looked like that. And it's the same thing. And you can look at trajectories and see what they do. And you can put a maneuver in and see what it does. And you can just teach yourself, you know, by doing that and just playing around with it. And folks do that now, like with Kerbal Space Program and stuff. There's programs out there now that allow that. But um, in the early days when I was doing this, we didn't have that. And, and my tool does that kind of thing, the SDK does. And so, you know, we I, I learned with that set of tools there. I had visualization. And then there was also a, a tool that... Um, that SDK had in it called Astrogator, funny, funny enough, and and uh, and that had come from a previous tool that had call, been called Swing By and then Navigator. And as they brought that tool up from you know from into into the PC realm and Windows environment, um, they renamed it Astrogator. And so I thought that was fun because that you know has uh, you can do all this on a notebook computer. You don't need a supercomputer, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we could do it on laptops and desktops and those kind of things that, that we had in our office and I had in my basement. So um, really, you know, fun set of circumstances, just being kind of in the right place at the right time and having the right people around you that, that uh, you know, put me in place for what I was able to do. And then um, Brent and I worked together as, as in SEE till about 2002. And then he decided to get out and go work in the wine business. He's got a, a vineyard in, uh, in Western Colorado. In the in the Paonia area, and um, he decided to go do that full time, and then. I moved from Colorado up here to uh, Washington State, up in the San Juan Islands, and uh, and then it was SEE was me for many years after that. But I worked with a lot of folks that were good friends of mine, both at at AGI and some other companies. 
then a few years back, um, I kind of I reorganized with a bunch of those friends, and now uh, SEE is a, is a ten person company. Um, we're we're a distributed company all over the United States. Uh, we work remotely with each other all the time, and and we work on you know a bunch of different projects. We, Are you able to work remotely from uh, the island you're on? I do absolutely. Yeah, I mean I've worked here on the island since two thousand one when we moved here. And Are you um, there now. I'm here right now. Yes, sir. What kind of internet connection do you have there? Um, I have a fiber line. I have a, the the um, power company Opalco here on the island uh, has fiber to my house, and so I've got oh, a. Nice. Yeah, I, I, and I haven't always had that. I've struggled with that. Actually, we've had. You, actually, if you if you poke around on the internet, you can find pictures of me uh, related to internet outages back. I think in 2013 and 14. But we had a, you know, I had a DSL connection, I believe, at the time. And uh, and there was a, a big deal up here where the underwater cable that comes out to the island got broken, and it it severed the connections to both the internet and the cell phone lines all at the same time. And uh, right in the middle, when I was supporting a, the Laddie project, which was a lunar mission that flew in 2013, so I had to go off island and you know go over onto the mainland there and sit in McDonald's parking lots and use their. <laughs> now, you were an early Mac user. Tell me how the Mac stands up today in terms of utilization for this kind of work you do? Well, so the, the Mac itself has been great. And, I, and I've had a Mac, you know, I've had Macs or been around Macs, you know, since I was in college in, in 1984 when they, when they started coming out. And uh, my, my good friend, uh, you know, Dan Berner had a Mac and, and I played around with it when he first got it. And then I got one a year later or so. And, you know, the old Cuisinart Macs, if we like to call them. And, um, and I, so I had, I've had my own since then. And uh, now the, the software that I use is written for a PC. And so I have PCs in my office, my desktop or PCs. My laptops have almost always been Macs, and I've gone back and forth between them, but um, if I have to run the PC software, um, I can do that, and I've, I've done different versions of that depending on what the technology was at the time. You know, back um, in before, like, uh, well, I think it was, I want to say 2007, I was I was running in, uh, in boot camp, and so I would just, I would boot up as a PC or, you or told a Mac. Me before the show, you run Parallels nowadays. To get to and I do, yeah, I do run yeah, yeah, I do run parallels now, and, and that and that's been great. And I and I switched over to that, um, and, and I don't remember the exact years of this, but at one point in time, parallels started to have uh, support for the graphics accelerated cards, and so. Uh, oh, yes. And so when that happened, then I could make the switch. Before that, it was it was boot camp, and boot camp was okay, but parallels is neater. And so um, I I've done that for years, um, and I have a you know a, a suite of different computers now that I do, and I have PCs and my Macs and my iPhones and my iPads and all that that I I use for different things. And and it's interesting, you know, the like I was telling you, the the software that we have originally you do this stuff on a on a, a mainframe or whatever, and then you move to the PC. And actually, now we're we're starting to move back to doing things in the cloud. So you know, it's kind of gone full circle, right? So there's a lot of uh, of things that we can do now where we want to be able to set off runs, and we're doing Monte Carlos, and that where we need to do thousands or tens of thousands of runs. You don't really want your PC, you know, or your Mac or whatever taking up doing that. So you can farm that off to the cloud, and we're we're working on ways to do that. we and and getting pretty close to having that capability. And there's different ways of doing that already, where you can you know. You can run virtual machines in the cloud and that kind of thing, but um, so yeah, the lot, lots of fun stuff. And and um, and you know, my Mac has always been uh, certainly my family's all had Macs. My wife does and that, and I my laptops have been Macs for a long time. Um, and uh, but yeah, in in uh, parallels is is basically how I've run that. So you are an expert in lunar trajectories and lunar landing calculations. I take it. 
Um, yeah, the lunar landing stuff. I have I've done a little bit on that. Um, you know, some some years ago we I wanted to ask you about fuzzy logic and lunar landings. I'm dying <laughs> to ask you about that. Sure, and and I, I got to defer to my my good friend uh, Tim Carrico on that. We we did some papers back uh, several years ago, and uh, gosh, it's probably been more like fifteen years ago now, where we were um, we were working with AGI and and kind of showing how their software could support you know different control algorithms and that. And so we had a, a a control algorithm that we put in there that we were testing out in Astrogator just to show that we could do it, kind of a demonstration of some of the capabilities in their software. And um, I'd been working with. A guy, an ex JPS, not an ex JSC uh, guy that had worked on the Apollo missions, Chuck Dietrich, who's another dear friend of mine that I met, you know, through all kinds of funny ways. But um, he flew the Apollo missions. He was the, one of the retro officers for the Apollo missions, and just a great source of information. And I had working with Chuck at one point come up with an algorithm that roughly approximated how the Apollo missions landed on the moon. And so we had something Is this like, like greater that. Greater avoidance. Uh, we weren't doing that. It was it was more just like you know trying to uh, how they would calculate what the uh, you know the nominal trajectory, just you know how oh, they figured okay. out what the throttle was and that kind of thing. There's a different level of things that you do when you start driving around and missing stuff. Of course, on Apollo, what it was is you let the astronauts grab a joystick and do it, and and now they have you know, a little bit different ways of of trying to calculate those things. You know, like you say, uh, uh, you know, recognition of terrain recognition and those kind of things. But at the time, we we were just doing something simple to figure out what the throttle levels ought to be at different times, and uh, we put that together and we had kind of an algorithm for that. And uh, my my business partner now and and my good friend for many years, John Carrico and I were working on it, and um, and John's brother Tim worked at AGI as well, and and Tim had a is a Navy man, and he had a for whatever reason had a background in, in fuzzy logic stuff, and so Tim got together with us, and John and Tim and I got together, and we figured out how to implement a, a fuzzy logic version of a landing controller, and and got that to work, and that was that was neat. I hadn't been exposed to that before, but but Tim was our our fuzzy logic guy and, and our guru on that, and then we later on uh, used similar logic to to uh, to try to simulate a um, rendezvous and proximity operations at the space station so we did some fun things with that and it was uh, you know mostly a, a demonstration of a capability in the software but it gave me an excuse to learn some things about fuzzy logic and and that that was neat and and work with Tim and and that so that that's that was a, a fun project and we've gotten some mileage out of that since then I have the the landing stuff typically in our in our uh, work um, the landing will be you know, the landing part itself, the power descent will be somebody else's problem and we'll, we'll be the guys that get the trajectory right up to that spot and then up when, when you get to that point, then someone else's, you know, okay. work takes over and gets them down on the ground. Right. Right. Well, we've only got a few minutes left. I want to ask just a couple more questions. I'm sure. dying to ask you about how you ended up on Friday Harbor. So, uh, San Juan Island and Friday Harbor is the town. And uh, well, really what happened was um, when my wife and I, Trudy, got married in um, – in 1994, uh, we were looking for a place to go on our honeymoon, and uh, we came up to the islands. And um, and we went to Orcas Island, and we went to San Juan Island, and a couple of the other islands, and we liked it up here. And, uh, and we kept coming up here for vacation. And uh, oh, it was in 2000, um, you know, I did a bunch of work for a company down in Pasadena called Blastoff, and I got a bunch of extra frequent flyer miles and uh, was flying around. And we started looking at houses up here because Trudy was pregnant with our fourth kid, and we needed a bigger house. And I was living, you know, in a place where I was in Colorado, but I wasn't living close to any of my customers. My customers were spread around the country. And so I'm like, I can live anywhere. The San Juans are cool. Let's try to go up there. And so, you know, we we started getting the newspaper, started looking at houses that were for sale. And uh, 
you know, kind of, I had extra frequent flyer miles. We came up here and looked at the house. We, we didn't like the ones we looked at. We saw another one across the street that we liked. We made an offer. They took it and we moved. And, um, how long and, is your ferry ride? Uh, about an hour and a half, uh, oh from my. here to Anacortes. And, so you must um, work and, out of your home a lot. I do. I do. I'm, I'm here most of the time. When I have to travel, I can. I get on a ferry or you can you can take a plane from here down to the air, down to Boeing Field and then get a shuttle bus over to SeaTac and get out of there. I can do that. I can fly out of uh, actually in the last year, uh, two years ago now, they opened up uh, the airport in uh, at, at Payne Field there. And so you can fly out of there. And that's been great because you don't have to go all the way down to SeaTac. So I get out of there and you can fly. You know, there's small commuter planes in and out of Friday Harbor if you want to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's been it's it's been great. I've been able to, to live on an island and and work, you know, in space flight and that for almost 20 years now. And I worked in Colorado before that, which is an also great place to live. So I don't, I don't have any complaints. I've worked in, in nice places and my kids grew up here and, and I've been able to, you know, fly spacecraft and work on lunar missions and other things from here. And I mean, when the missions fly, you sometimes have to go places. And sure. like, on, you know, I went down to NASA Ames and was down there for a month or so. Or when we flew uh, Orbu 2, I was in Dulles for a month. And, or, you know, or um, uh, Ibex, same thing in 2008. So you occasionally have to go down and work ops, but, but that's all fun stuff. So, <clears throat> so uh, one more question. Sure. I read in Aviation Week that there's a looming shortage in aerospace engineers. Do you have any advice for young students who want to get into a career in aerospace? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I have anything short and pithy. I mean, you know, the, I guess, you know, it's, um, and I, I will say that, that I absolutely am willing to talk to people. I've advised all kinds of people over the years and try to help them figure out what decisions that they want to do. And, mm -hmm. and I welcome that. And I really get a kick out of that. I've had a couple of friends of mine that have taken jobs at SpaceX or other places because of, you know, something that I said to them. I don't know what it was, but something they found profound in it. But, um, you know, I guess the, the thing is, is to put yourself in a position where you can take advantage of opportunities and then recognize the opportunities. There's not a magic path. There's nothing magic about what I did. I didn't have special powers or, you know, I wasn't Einstein or anything. It's, it's, you know, doing the work, getting yourself in the position to, to have opportunities come up and then taking advantage of them and recognize them when they come. And that's, that's the key. And it's, and there's a thousand paths that get you to the same place or they get you to a place that you'll like and, you know, find people and ask them. I mean, all of us that work in, in this industry we love what we do and we love talking about it and so if you want advice from somebody ask it and it's so easy now with you know with twitter and email and sure, websites sure. and all that and text messages you know it's it's really you know non-threatening uh, because you can send an email to someone or you know use a twitter account and, and direct message them or whatever facebook whatever it is so i mean it's you know look for the stuff that that you're interested in and then talk to people there and find out what it's about and internships are brilliant but anytime you can find you know connections or people that are in the industry that can help you and there's all kinds of you know of uh, scholarships and things that are important I know from personal experience absolutely and and there's also all kinds of opportunities out there to try to get you know folks that are underrepresented you know women and minorities and other folks that have been under underrepresented there's all kinds of of opportunities if you can find them and, and ask the right people you'll you'll see, figure out what they are but there's lots of good opportunities and and lots of ways of figuring out what you want and you don't have to know what you want if you know you have a passion for it and you want you'll find a thing you'll find your thing you just got to get in there and find the the opportunities and and you know and i'm, I'm confident you'll find it and and um and then that, you know, you can get it done. So I encourage people to, to do that. And, and obviously I encourage them to reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to you. Mike, if, what's your Twitter some, handle? 
it's a astrogator mike that's with an underscore between astrogator and mike um and uh you can find us on the web at uh, se.com as well and and uh and get hit me up there um but i encourage people to reach out to me if they have questions about these things happy to talk to them and exchange emails and you know twitter dms or whatever it is that works for you get on a zoom call or whatever so all right great well mike thanks for joining me on the show it's been very interesting hearing about your career very much like well, mine. Very, yeah. very cool. There you go. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's been great talking to you. Folks, you've been listening to John Marcellaro and Mike Lauchs, CEO of Space Exploration Engineering. You've been listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. We'll see you again next week. Mm-hmm.